Welcome to First Presbyterian Church in North Palm Beach, Florida. We exist to help people pursue and share gospel-driven lives. We hope whether you're investigating faith, a seasoned follower of Jesus, and anywhere in between, this podcast helps you connect with Jesus. We're going to turn to the scriptures now. This morning's scripture reading will be the story of Jesus' resurrection from the Gospel of Luke. So it'll be Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. So I'm going to invite you to pray with me, and then we'll listen to the scriptures together. So pray with me if you would. On this day, Lord, you have acted. Let us now rejoice and be glad in it. We pray this in the name of the risen Christ. Amen. Friends, listen now to the good news of Easter from the book that we love, from Luke 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking with them the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body there. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly, two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember what he told you while he was in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and all the rest. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home amazed at what had happened. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. On the morning of October 3rd in 1938, Bill Dock, who was a mill worker in Grover's Mill, New Jersey, was listening to the radio, and he became alarmed as he heard coming over the radio a report that aliens had landed just down the road from him and were rampaging through the countryside. So, Doc grabbed his double-barrel shotgun, loaded it, and he charged into the night to face down the invaders. After searching through the woods for a while, he later on told a reporter, and I love this, he didn't see anybody he thought needed shooting. (laughs) What Bill Doc had heard on the radio was, in fact, Orson Welles' adaptation of The War of the Worlds. 
It was a recorded radio program that was recorded realistically as a breaking news report, complete with realistic sound effects and impersonations of government officials making emergency pronouncements. And the next day, after this aired around the country, the papers were filled with stories of people like Bill Dock. In New York City, there were 30 people that rushed into a police station on West 123rd Street to evacuate New York City. There was one person in Pittsburgh who actually barely prevented his wife from taking her own life by swallowing poison. There's a writer named A. Brad Schwartz who wrote a book called Broadcast Hysteria just a few years ago that explores this phenomenon, how, how our evolving communications mediums, the radio, newspapers, and then television, and now internet and social media, how all of them give us both information and also disinformation how they transmit both news and fake news, and the ways in which human communities have struggled to discern the one from the other. He even spends time talking about the way authoritarian figures and regimes have employed fake news propaganda in their efforts to grab at power throughout the 20th and into the 21st centuries. Now, I mention that because I think if we're honest with ourselves, in the 21st century, as we come to a story like this, we wonder if we can take it seriously. In our honest moments when we hear the story of Jesus', Jesus resurrection, there is something in an awful lot of us that says, is this good news or is this fake news? And so I'm going to invite you for a few moments this morning to simply make your way together with those first mourners become resurrection witnesses to the tomb of Jesus on the very first Easter. See if this is not an announcement that you can actually take seriously in your own life. The text that we listened to together a moment ago, it begins as a solemn parade of Jesus' female followers are making their way in the cold dark of the early morning to his tomb. Jesus' dutiful mourners, bleary-eyed with grief in the pre-dawn blackness, they are not going to his tomb expecting resurrection. They're taking with them spices and burial ointments, intending simply to give their friend and beloved teacher the dignity in his burial that he was so cruelly denied in his crucifixion and death. But they don't find what they do expect to find upon arrival at the tomb, Jesus' body. And they do find what they don't expect to find, these two angelic figures dressed in glory and lightning, who as they're picking themselves up from the ground in sheer terror, hear this question addressed to them. What are you doing in a tomb? Tombs are for dead people. Now, as we listen through the eyes of those women 
and their, their ears to the angelic announcement, we wonder ourselves whether we can really take it seriously. Here and now, even if you're somebody for whom you're not, you're not significantly connected to Christian faith or to church, as you arrive at Easter, it uh, generates feelings of general, general nostalgia and warmth in us. It makes us feel vaguely happy or inspired. But the very first witnesses of the resurrection didn't feel that way on arrival at the tomb. Their first emotions were actually being puzzled, perplexed, and skeptical. I think that that's helpful to note, especially if you're somebody for whom you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus. For those of us for whom that's the case, as we hear this story, inwardly we say to ourselves, well, you know, now we know, now that we live in the 21st century, that this kind of thing couldn't really have happened. Now, if that's you, I want to help you see that that's actually a little bit of what one writer calls chronological snobbery. And here's why. People have been dying and staying dead for a really, really long time now. And the people who became the first Christians, they were every bit as skeptical about the resurrection as anyone living in the 21st century would be today. So if you're somebody that you think the story of the resurrection sounds crazy, you are actually in really good company. The first believers in Jesus, before they were believers in Jesus, were actually the first disbelievers in Jesus. We're told that as the women race back to Jesus' band of followers, whom Luke calls the eleven, the apostles, and tell them what's happened, Luke tells us that it seems to them at first an idle tale. Now, the people who translate the Bible into English from the original language, this part of the scriptures are written in, they're actually, they're actually kinder to the disciples than Luke himself was. That, that word in the original language that the Bible was written in, that we translate idle tale, it's the word leros in Greek. And it actually means something more like baloney or BS, <laughs> fake news. Several years ago, there was a controversy that made the news for a few cycles as a student on the campus of Yale University in the middle of the night put a cross up on the campus's common grounds that replaced the, the Latin inscription that features in much traditional artwork with the letters I-N-R-I for, for king with the letters R-O-F-L, which is slang shorthand for rolling on the floor laughing. Now that action created all of the predictable controversies and culture wars that you might imagine. But when I read that story, I was struck by the irony that that's actually closer to the initial response that the first Christians had to the Easter gospel. Baloney. R-O-F-L. Leros. Here's what I want you to see. However much it may explode our mental circuits or cause us in our, our knee-jerk moments to say, this is a bunch of leros, it actually takes as much faith to not believe this story as it does to believe it. The world's leading 
New Testament scholar and first century historian, a man named N.T. Wright. He, he writes in, in his writings that, that from a historical perspective, the best explanation by far for the events of the very first Easter day is that Jesus really did rise. The reason he says that is because if you were fabricating a story like this, you'd never make up a story like this if you were trying to convince people it was true. This story we know historically was widely circulated in the lifetimes of all of the people mentioned here. If you were trying to circulate a story like this, you would never write in the initial disbelief of all the people who, who wound up becoming the very first leaders in the Christian movement. You would never write in having the very first witnesses of the resurrection and the very first preachers of the Christian good news be women. The Christian movement was born in the teeth of the Roman Empire, a deeply patriarchal society. Women's testimony was not admissible in court in this day and age. If you were trying to make up a story like this, you would never have the very first witnesses of the resurrection be women. So this is what I want to say to you. If you're somebody for whom you hear this story and you say to yourself, BS, Leros. I want to invite you to come with, with your skepticism to the tomb of Jesus. I want, to invite you to, I want to invite you to make your way into this community with your questions, with your skepticism, with what perplexes you. No, this is a place where, where you can do that. We're a community where you can, you can bring your honest questions and not need to worry that somebody is going to pull the fire alarm when you walk in the door. Come with your questions and see if, like these disciples, you do not find yourself surprised by the presence of the risen Jesus. The astonishing announcement at the tomb of Jesus that forms what one historian calls the hinge of all human history is this. He is not here, but is risen. When Christians say that, we don't mean just that Jesus' memory would live on forever or that his teachings would always be remembered or that his spirit in some nice way is with us all. Easter is more daring than that. One of my favorite authors is an author named John Updike. He, is, he was a novelist and writer of short stories. He wrote for The New Yorker for a long, long time. He called himself the token Christian at The New Yorker. And one of my favorite things that he's ever written is actually a piece of poetry that he wrote about the resurrection story called Seven Stanzas at Easter. And his poem, it maps out the staggering claims of the Easter good news. I want you to listen to how he puts it. He says this. He says, make no mistake. If he rose at all, it was as his body. If the cell's dissolution did not reverse... The molecules re-knit, the amino acids rekindle, the church will fall. It was not as the flowers, each soft spring recurrent. It was not as his spirit in the mouths and fuddled eyes of the eleven apostles. It was as his flesh, ours. The same hinged thumbs and toes, the same valved heart that pierced, died, withered, paused, and then regathered out of enduring might new strength to enclose. Let us not mock God with metaphor, 
analogy, sidestepping transcendence, making of the event a parable, a sign painted in the faded credulity of an earlier age. Let us walk through the door. Let us not seek to make it less monstrous for our own convenience, our own sense of beauty, lest awakened in one unthinkable hour, we are embarrassed by the miracle and crushed by remonstrance. This is what followers of Jesus mean when we say that he has risen, that he rose in his flesh, which is also ours. That is the audacious news of Easter. After our first service earlier this morning at sunrise, I had a congregant tell me that several years ago on Easter Sunday here, he was sitting in one of the first several pews like you are right around, right around here. And as my predecessor shared the historic Christian greeting and worship that we began with, he is risen. It's the person that he happened to be sitting next to, who I will presume was probably a native Southerner, responded not by saying he is risen indeed, but by saying, well, he sure did. <laughs> what Christians mean when we say that Christ is risen, is that he sure did. So, what do you do with the news of Easter? What do you do with this good news? I want to simply close by briefly suggesting two things to you. First, this is news to be amazed about. The text that we listen to together closes as Peter, one of the disciples, runs breathless to the tomb, stoops down and looked in, and then we're told that he went home amazed at what had happened. And I want to suggest that the same thing will happen to you if you actually look yourself at the crucified and risen Jesus. If you actually if you actually try to comprehend that the Lord of the universe came among us and entered the stuff of a solitary human life, that he gave himself over to death for us, handed over, crucified, and buried, you will be amazed. If you actually try to comprehend that on the first Easter, Jesus' cell's dissolution really did reverse, that his amino acids really did rekindle, that the heart that was pierced and that had died and withered really did regather new resurrection strength. You can't but be amazed. If you fix your gaze on the reality that in a show of power and love and divine cunning, not seen since the dawn of the universe, Jesus of Nazareth burst from the tomb and as he did, the living God once and for all put an end to sin and death's stranglehold over us and that God began at Jesus' empty tomb his work of creating a new creation for a world of broken people like us. You can't but be amazed by that. There's a Roman Catholic priest who's a great writer named Father James Martin, who in one place in his writings about Easter says, Easter demands a yes or a no. There is no whatever. When you're appropriately staggered by the Easter good news, you'll start asking yourself the same question that the angels ask those first women. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? 
I hope you take that question with you as you go from here today. Why, do, why is it that you and I so often look for, for meaning and security and identity and purpose anywhere else except in the crucified and risen Lord? Why do I look for the living among the dead? Some of you know that just recently my wife and I traveled to Portugal and the internet, because it stalks every facet of our existence now, it, uh, uh, it, when it realized that we were going to be traveling to Portugal, it, it sent me the, it started sending me Portuguese news stories. And so I got a news alert one time as I was reading the news on my, my device that there was a ship that actually caught fire off the, off the coast of Portugal that was filled with luxury cars and ever, no one was hurt or killed. Rescue workers evacuated all the people working on the ship, but it was just a drift in the ocean burning for a while. And this was the title of the news story that arrested my attention. Burning cargo ship filled with Porsches adrift in the Atlantic without a crew. I read that and thought to myself, that is a one-line description of life in the 21st century. (laughs) This is a picture of our life apart from God. Shiny affluence, but aimless and adrift. So I want to invite you to be amazed, to be transformed by this good news. And secondly, this is good news to announce. For those astonished women and then for the Christian community ever since, the resurrection is good news. It is headline news for the whole universe. It's not just a set of religious ideas to be preferred or not. It's not just an ethical code to be swept aside or to be slavishly adhered to. It's news about something that's happened in the world that changes everything for everyone forever. It's good news for a world of tears and darkness. Easter snuck up on those women who were mourning in the dark, perplexed and terrified. And Easter is still good news for a dark, perplexing, and mourning world. As we're on the threshold of passing the grim milestone in 2022 now of having more than a million people in our country die as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. As we're, as we're numbed to human suffering and bloodshed daily by, by news every day of continual, continual bloodshed in Eastern Europe and around the world. We, we need this Easter good news. Because this is news of a new future for us and for the world. All of the gospel accounts of Jesus' resurrection all make the point that Jesus rose on the first day when they tell us that, they don't just mean that Jesus happened to rise from the dead on a Sunday. It wasn't simply like an iCal planning alert. They're making the point that this is a new first day for the whole world. That Easter is like a new genesis. That one day, what God did on Easter in the body of Jesus, he will do for all of his people and for his whole creation. They're making the point that the ultimate future for us is not simply meaninglessness and chaos that ends in a grave, but that one day you and I and all of Jesus' people and all of God's creation will have a resurrection. So friends, in a world full of tears and tombs, in a time that is perplexing and confusing, and in a world full of false hopes and fake news. Here is the good news. Christ is risen.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us at FPC. For more info and to connect with us, check out www.firstpresnpb.org.